Welcome to episode 12 of the Woo Woo Way podcast. My name is Zeb Rice. Today's podcast is an audio version of the fifth in the Sunday teaching series that you can watch on Vimeo. This episode is about what many of George's talks are about at the end of the day, our own inherent freedom. Our freedom to live our best lives were it not for the confusion we have about who we really are. He returns to many of the themes that we've encountered in prior podcasts, such as types of logic, who we really are, the basic techniques to wake up to our freedom, the power each of us has to be the master of our emotions, and so on. And I'll leave all that to him. But what I would really like to talk about in advance of handing you over to George are just two things. The first one is what I would call one of George's hard teachings. And it it comes up because George is talking about how the nature of the world is illusory and that the illusion manifests manifests itself as, as we perceive it as energy in different identifiable sorts of patterns. And he's giving the example of sadness as one of these identifiable sorts of patterns. And he mentions in passing a, a guy who kills himself. And so he asks us, how do we explain that this guy was so sad for so long that he ended up killing himself? And the answer is that he was holding on to the energy. And he'll talk about it in the in the uh, podcast in a few minutes. But when I hear him say that, I, I just... I just sort of say, hang on a minute, uh, wh- wait a minute, what what are you saying? Because if I follow George's logic that we're actually in control of the energy that, that's out there, and if emotions are just one manifestation of that energy, then could you say that it's this guy's fault that he's so sad? I mean, you, t- you, know, you take that logic forward and it seems like you're saying that he's just too dumb or weak or in some sense d- deserved to d- to die and and that that doesn't sound right to me i mean what about sick people if 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 what he's saying is true we can't blame the germs or cancer or whatever's out there in the environment that's harming us we've done it to ourselves and then you take it to the next level and you say well what about people in concentration camps or victims of senseless violence or just your everyday alcoholic or sad or lonely or really overweight person. Yep, them too, you might think. It's their own fault. Now, I I struggle with this because um, I don't don't think that's what George is saying, but it kind of sounds like that is what he is saying. So, um, and, and it seems to me insensitive to all the people that seem to have the worst luck in life, to put it mildly. I mean, somehow it's this teaching seems to imply that the healthiest, most comfortable, and richest people are, are better than than everyone that isn't. I mean, if you could control the illusion, wouldn't you make yourself filthy, filthy rich or famous if that was your thing? So I, I obviously have struggled with this and, and thought a lot about it. And I guess where I come out is the following. First off, we have several examples of humans who have reached the pinnacle of 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 power, of, of human development, what, a, what a, the, the best that a homo sapien can achieve. You know, you've got really, a, not very many, but you've got a Jesus or a Krishna or a Buddha. George mentions Milarepa in this talk, a, a famous Tibetan uh, enlightened being. Um, and, and there's a bunch of other ones through, throughout the, uh, the eons. But I guess you could, you could look at them and say, well, if they had that kind of power, which sure seems like they did, then they, you would think that they would have made themselves, you know, themselves uh, celebrities or, or uh, in their own time uh, or multi multi zillionaires, but but they obviously didn't. And, and George is teaching the same things that that those people were talking about, just in more modern language. So I think, in fact, that this teaching doesn't lead to the sort of perspective or. or outcome that uh, I just talked about. Uh, I would say actually that it's a incredibly sensitive and empowering teaching. It's sensitive because it says everyone is equally capable of living the best life. Just because we create our own reality doesn't mean that we should be too hard on ourselves if our reality really sucks. It also doesn't mean that we should look down on someone who is sad or sick or an addict or wrongly imprisoned or whatever as being somehow weak or a loser. 
it's quite the opposite, really. And, and this is where that sensitivity I, I refer to comes in. I mean, this teaching implies that we should feel a profound compassion for ourselves if, if we're in that situation or whoever it is that is suffering when, when, when they don't have to. I mean, that, that's the tragedy. And, and the worse and more unjust the suffering, the more overwhelming and incredible is the tragedy. And so I, I think that there's a, actually a sensitivity that, that comes from, from this teaching. And the other element that I, I think that I see in this teaching is, is how empowering it is. And it's empowering, I think, because each of us has an equal right to the best life. That, that life is available to any one of us at any moment. And no one has a better um, opportunity to realize it or uh, more of a right to it than, than anyone else. We may look at someone that is a billionaire or a celebrity and think that by George's logic that they're better than us. But actually what I think this teaching is saying is that when you're the guy in prison or, the, or, or, or if you're the zillionaire, you have an equal opportunity to be happy and at peace. In fact, it's probably easier for the guy in prison to realize his own freedom and equanimity than it is for the, the zillionaire. I mean, didn't what was the line from the Gospels when Jesus says that it's harder for a rich man to enter into the gates of heaven than, than a camel to fit through the eye of a needle? As George might say, if you're so busy having all the things that wealth brings or doing all the things that famous or powerful people need to do to stay famous and powerful, you are by definition not in being. And being is what unlocks everlasting happiness health, love, peace, creativity, spontaneity, joy, and all that good stuff. Technically, I think George might say that it's neither being nor not being that unlocks all the goodies, but that's beyond something that we can put into words, so I won't go there. So how do we exercise this power over our illusory life? George gives us the recipe. We've heard it before, and he does it again in this podcast. Three, there's three parts to the recipe. One, let go. Two, break habits. Three, be still. And he, he adds today, being aware, which I think is a variation on being still. So that's it. Letting go, breaking habits, being still. Now, it's a little abstract. So one of the things that uh, I've done is that I've uh, recorded one of the uh guided meditations that George taught me, which um, is, is sort of a practical application of this uh, kind of letting go, breaking habits concept. And it's called Refiling, and you'll find it as part of the podcast series. So feel free to, to download it. I will say that as with all this, these training exercises, um, refiling is just like any of the other ones that in the sense that you, it has to be repeated and there has to be continuity to that repetition or it's not really going to work. So you just think about how many years you've, you've trained the mind uh, to experience reality in the way that you experience it. Um, it's from, from even before you were born, that training has been happening. So it's going to take a little while to, to do the reprogramming. So, so that, that's the first thing I wanted to talk about was um, kind of the, the, the hard teaching, um, uh, one of these hard teachings of George's. And then the second one, um, I, I wanted to mention is when he talks about science's most embarrassing moment. And I, I think a lot of people may not know exactly what he's talking about. So uh, I just wanted to emphasize that what he's referring to, I think, is what might be called the observer effect. And the observer effect basically says that anytime we try to observe anything and, and you know, try to do science, you've got to observe in order to, to, to prove something. Anytime we, we do an observation, we change the thing that we're observing. Now, the kind of obvious macro example is, say you wanted to know what the, the you know, measure, the observe the, the pressure in a tire. Well, in order to measure the pressure, you've got to take a little bit of the pressure out in order to move the, the meter that's going to measure the, the pressure. And so you've changed how much pressure there is. Um, more generally, though, uh, we, we tend to use light to observe things. And not, not just with our eyes, but, you know, we're observing the, the, the stars or at the, at the quantum level, you know, we're, we're um, using parts of the electromagnetic spectrum to, 
to measure changes in, in particles. And, and anytime you, you use light to observe something, you're bouncing light off that object and, and the light has to then emit light back out, which, which changes the object. And at the big scales of everyday human world, the, the, the change is infinitesimally small. And so we, it doesn't really, um, we don't really notice it and it doesn't really matter, but, but it changes it nonetheless. And certainly at a quantum scale, uh, it, it has a profound impact and, and this leads to all kinds of really crazy things. And, and really you, you know, the, the, the more we get along in science, uh, that the more weirdness we're discovering and now's not the place to go into quantum entanglement or, or the multiple universe theories, some of which claim that there's infinite copies of, of you out there, uh, or black bolt, black holes or the big bang and so on. But the point is just that when we think things can't get any stranger or smaller or bigger or further away or whatever they do. And, uh, I will just note before finishing that the one thing that doesn't seem to get, uh, any different is, is light and, and the speed of light at least in this particular universe, uh, doesn't seem to have a, uh, speed up or slow down, um, capability. And, and, and there's a fixed, there's a fixed maximum. And I find that really interesting. And given that this podcast is in some ways all about enlightenment and most of the time we're talking about energy that is light in its various patterns. Uh, I think it's pretty interesting that the one thing according to science that doesn't appear to change is light. In fact, if, if you could somehow take the perspective of light, if you could, as Einstein imagined it, sort of be uh, at the front of the, of a light wave, what you would discover is that you wouldn't experience time or space or motion. In fact, all of a light's lifetime of experience, its existence and uh, termination, say when it comes out in, in, in our sun and travels the eight and a half minutes or whatever to earth and then is absorbed and, and um, converted into some other form of energy, that, that whole process may look like eight and a half minutes from our perspective, but if you're the light perspective, all that took place in the same instant. So I think this is what in part led Einstein to so famously say that, quote, for we convinced physicists, the distinction between past, present, and future is only an illusion, however persistent. So I'll, I'll leave you with that quote of Einstein to contemplate as I hand you over to George. So it's always, you know, it's like when I say right now, right here, you are free. And your task is to figure out what it is you do that doesn't let you come to that recognition. See, that's, that's it. That's why I keep saying over and over again, what are you going to practice? Being aware. Letting go, breaking habits, and being still. Okay? Because you're going to find out <clears throat> that activity of any kind, mental, emotional, behavioral, activity of any kind is likely to cloud your awareness to your essence. And that's why being still becomes imperative. Because then, you're, you're less likely to get distracted. Okay? But because you are that, and you have forgotten, then as you re recognize it again, this time you'll recognize it in such a fashion that you'll never lose sight of it. That's the important thing. You're not going to lose sight of it because you've learned something extremely important. What is it I have done to cloud my memory of my essence, okay? Now, because you're it, <clears throat> here's where it gets tricky. You actually cannot start a program to find yourself. That's where people make the mistake. Okay? You cannot start a process whose goal is to find yourself. And a very good analogy is the physical eye. Without a mirror, the eye itself cannot see itself. See? The eye has no way of seeing itself. And even if you use a mirror, you're seeing a reflection, and that reflection is going to be affected by the grade of the mirror. All right. 
you will never find yourself. So your strategy has to be find out what I'm not. And once I have deduced all that I'm not, see, I, I've, I'm aware of every category, mental, desire, emotional, physical, that I'm not. That which was doing the analysis, if you wish, is me. And so I'm not like any of that. And that's where you remember, oh, now I remember what I was originally, and by the way, still that way. You know, a long time ago, the Incas, so that was, you know, where after the Spaniards were in Peru for a while, you know, it gets pretty cold up in the Andes. <clears throat> so people would actually, you know, get a new article of clothing and put it on top of the clothing they had. And over time, you know, some of the clothes that they had put on first, right, started to disintegrate and fall off. So, you know, that's how they got rid of the old whatever article of clothing. They would just put on another set of clothing. And I reminded of this man who one day showed up and asked for some work, okay? And I thought, wow, he looks like a, you know, big, healthy young man. You know? So, okay, you know, some handy work stuff to do. And he was a very good worker, okay? To make a long story short, one day, uh, you know, and he had a full beard and wasn't very kept, God bless. And he would have identified himself as homeless. And one day I was walking and I saw him and I thought, whoa. I mean, he looked like he had lost like 50 pounds. And all of a sudden I realized that it was because he wasn't wearing all his clothing. He was actually, had been doing the same thing that the Incas, right? Whatever article of clothing he found, he would put it on top of the other ones that he had. Well, that's why he looked such a big guy, but he really wasn't. He was a very slender fellow, okay? So the analogy is, you've put on all these layers. And so you now look to be something you're not. See? So that's why letting go, that's why breaking habits are so important, because you're starting to get rid of the layers that you've put upon yourself to recognize, well, really, what am I really like? Okay? Now, you have to remember that the conscious mind, the intellect, finds it very difficult to accept a state of not knowing, to say, I don't know. It's just very difficult for that part of us to admit that. So that part of us is constantly coming up with theories and explanations. Ultimately to find out that they were wrong, but at least for the moment there's a sense of comfort because to say I don't know is very unsettling. Right? So, when I say to you that your nature is transcendental, it really means Take it to heart. That which you are is such that words can never describe you. Words neither can describe you or not describe you. Take it to heart. Concepts can neither encapsulate you or not. Take it to heart. Definitions cannot explain you. Take it to heart. Titles cannot reveal you. What it means to be transcendental is to say, oh, whatever is transcends time, space, and motion. And therefore, I cannot come up with an explanation or a theory or a model or an example of what I'm like. So the best strategy, again, is to start by determining what you're not. So it's as if, okay, say, Brent says, well, I'm, I'm moving. I say, okay. And we come over to help him, and he's got one huge box and one little box. And we say, well, what do we do, Brent? 
And he says, well, what doesn't go in the little box goes in the big box. Okay, I guess, you know. Well, what's going to go in the big box? Well, if it has a characteristic, if it has an attribute, if it has a form, if it has a shape, if it has a limit, it goes in the big box. So we go, well, chairs have a characteristic, so I'll put the chairs in there. See, that's what we're going to do. Now, why does he have this little box? Because there's only one thing that goes in the little box. That's you. You're the only thing that goes in the little box. Because everything else goes in the big box. And the absence of characteristics go in the big box. Because you have to recognize that when we talk about the absence of characteristics or attributes, we're going to reach a conclusion that what is there is nothing. And you're not nothing. See, you're not nothing. But you're not something. And you're not everything. So you have to stay away from either or logic. And we've talked about that, right? We've talked about the fact that you have to stay away from either or logic because if you say, well, if I'm not something, does it mean I'm nothing? If I'm not something, am I everything? No. Well, then, again, I'm back to being nothing. You are transcendental. You're not a system that is the opposite of this one. It's not at right angles. It's not at any angles. It's just has nothing to do with what we call phenomenal or noumenal. And that's why we practice letting go. And we start out with the premise, because that's going to be your conclusion anyway. Right now, right here, I am free. So what is it you're going to let go of? The past? The future? I mean, after all, if you really think about it, most of our hurts relate to our past. You know, when we've talked about blaming as an element of dysfunctionality, you know how often we blame our history for our condition? I mean, you, you think about it, how often we give as an explanation what our state of existence is right now. We give as an explanation the fact that <clears throat> this was my history. This is what happened to me. Uh, these are the parents I had. Uh, this is the education. So when I've said to you, you're going to have to stop blaming, <coughs> you're going to have to start blaming, period. You, you can't blame the past. Right? When I say, don't justify, rationalize emotions. Why? Because that's the way, first of all, the detrimental part is that you're basically saying I don't have power. And since that's not true, you want to stop that habit. See, that's why I keep saying to you, you're going to be detectives. You're going to pay attention to what it is you're doing, because if you're not paying attention to what you're doing, how will you stop it? See, you won't be able to stop something you don't recognize that you're doing. So imagine if you could accept right now that you were free. Now just start out with that. Okay. Then could you be the body? No, you can't be the body, right? I mean, this isn't it a simple fact that the body is over, I mean, directed, influenced by gravity. Since bodies are affected by gravity, they're affected by electromagnetic waves, etc., etc., then obviously you can't be the body. Because the body's not free. So again, if you just start out by saying, all right, if I'm free, and that's the little box, then everything that's not free goes in the big box. Well, what is not affected by time? You're the only thing that's not affected by time. 
you're not even eternal. Why are you not eternal? Because eternal is a word that denotes what? A lot of time. See, you haven't transcended time. Even if you say you're eternal, you haven't transcended time. You're just saying, oh, it's a lot of time. You have nothing to do with time. Because right now you don't recognize time is actually an energy. What is perceived as time in the physical plane is an energy that when not seeing at a higher consciousness appears to be like what we deal with time. Daytime, nighttime, I mean, see? So when I say to you, not only are you going to be detectives and you're going to pay attention, you're going to be scientists and say, okay, well, if time is energy, can I manipulate energy? Yes. Then could I manipulate time? Yes. But right now, most people see time as external to themselves. They do not see time as an activity of their mind. Since they do not see time as an activity of their mind, how can they manipulate it? Same thing with space. Think of the concept of space. Well, again, we say, well, this is a beautiful space, this is a big space, whatever, or a small space. Again, until you move to a certain consciousness, you do not recognize that space actually is the manifestation of a particular energy. You're always going to be dealing with energy. Einstein's equation of E is equal to M really tells us that the race is hypnotized with the M, always with the end product. Time, space, motion, form, shape, function. Why? Because we haven't moved to the consciousness that indicates the motion, the activity, the kinetic dynamic aspect that is going to transform itself to what you will interpret as an M. Why do you think the great ones have said repeatedly, everything is illusory? Everything is dynamic. To not see it that way is to see an illusion. See, they've moved to a consciousness that allows them to see everything that we think of as solid, the tree, time, space, motion, forms, functions. Everything that we see as solids at a higher consciousness, it's just what? Patterns of recognizable energy. So at that level, what is what we call sadness? You know, we, we call it depression here, okay? What do they see? An identifiable pattern of energy, right? It's identifiable because they say, oh, that's what people call. Which is what the Buddha kept saying over and over again, right? Didn't the Buddha keep saying over and over again, people call it. That's not really that. But people call it that. So, what's a desire? A recognizable pattern of energy. Now, how is that going to help you? What do you know about energy? What's an intrinsic quality about energy? It wants to move. Think about it. An intrinsic quality of energy is that it wants to move. So how long should a particular feeling be in your awareness? Probably a pretty short time, huh? Because the energy wants to move. So how, how can we have somebody, I read recently this young man who had been depressed since, she was, since he was eight years old. Okay. And uh, now he was in his late 20s and just couldn't tolerate the severity of depression. He killed himself. So if depression is a pattern, recognizable pattern of energy, and energy wants to move, how could it last that long? He has to hold it. He has to hold on to that pattern of energy. 
Now, from a reasonable point of view, we would say, why, why would anybody hold that pattern of energy? It doesn't make sense, huh? Apparently, he had tried other things to cure the depression. What did he not do? Let go. See? He kept searching for people who would agree with him that he was depressed. Well, try this. But what was the wrong premise? That he was depressed. So, when I say, who, what do you think you are? Just pay attention. Who, what do you think you are? And maybe your definition is not as detrimental as this young man. But if your definition is, right here, right now, I am free. Your definition is at variance with your nature. Now, why do people keep an erroneous definition? Because they seem to have data. What do you think? I don't know this young man, right? And they didn't give a, a medical report. But if we were just going to hypothesize, well, what might we think was the data that led him to say he was depressed? More, more empirical. I'm sorry? He, he felt unhappy, probably, right? Mm -hmm. He probably didn't feel happy, and he said, well, uh, I think this is what we call sad, and so it's an ongoing thing, and sad is uh, depression, so I must be depressed. And then he goes to someone who says, well, how do you feel? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, you're depressed. You're clinically depressed. So isn't that reinforcing an erroneous definition of himself? Well, how is he going to get out of it? At least if somebody had said, wow, listen, you're holding on. You're holding on to a pattern of energy. And if you can't figure out why, if you can't figure out how it started, it's okay. You can always let go. Right? I mean, even if you don't know why you started it, even if you don't know why you're holding on to it, you can still let go of it. All right, so now watch, just again, how people think. You know, people actually will say to me, all right, I'm feeling bad. Okay, you're feeling bad. Which of the letting, letting go techniques do you want to use? None of them. How come? I mean, this is, I mean, I, I got to tell you that I can't give you the number of times this conversation takes place. If I let go of feeling bad, the situation will stay the same. And you have to say what? Initially, yes. But at least, what have we gained by letting go of the bad feelings? You don't feel bad. I mean, that's got to be at least an advantage, doesn't it? And then let's figure out how you're going to bring about a change in the empirical situation. See, because they're two different sets of techniques. You know, we've talked about the fact that what we call manifestations is nothing more than patterns of light. Quantums, units, in patterns, slowed up to be a tree, a chair. You know that it has been proven scientifically that you have the power to direct these quantums? You have the power to direct them. Okay. But it's not a belief we have. So we forget that this is a power, and therefore we can change the empirical situation. Now, 
Why does it seem that life has a certain consistency about it? Well, because you have set patterns into motion that keep putting these <coughs> units into the same pattern. The Hindus call them anus, okay? It's sort of like you're always getting these free anus and you're putting them into this cookie cutter and lo and behold, you always get little bears, right? Because you're, you're putting the anus into the same cookie cutter. So you, lo and behold, you always get little bears. Well, what's the cookie cutter? Your beliefs are the cookie cutters. Now, right now, right here, you don't have to tell me, how many of you actually believe, I don't know that you're ready to say, I recognize it, I remember. How many of you actually believe you're free? As converse to, well, it sounds reasonable. I hope it's true. But really, how many of you actually believe you're free? Because if you don't have the belief, how are the anus going to shape themselves to produce that phenomena? They can't. What is it you believe slash what is it you think you are? That's your cookie cutter. Imagine. Julie's going to run an experiment. And she doesn't tell Brian. And she says, you know what? Every night, I'm going to use a different cookie cutter. So in the morning, in the morning, I'm going to be a totally different person. Theoretically, is that possible? Can you imagine poor Brian going, who are you? I mean, like, who? I've never heard you think like this. I've never saw you do that. I mean, so we want consistency. We don't want people to change. We actually you know, are very reluctant to let people change. Because we're very reluctant to change ourselves. Why? Because we have confused that which changes with what you are. See, when I say to you, that which you are right now you have always been. You will always be. Whether you're aware of it or not is irrelevant. How can such a basic truth hide from us? Start out with my simple question. Do you believe you're free? Do you believe you have dominion? If you don't believe you have dominion, how are you going to shape the anus to verify your belief? Haven't I said that probably the major premise of all dysfunctional patterns is what? A belief in the lack of power. I am helpless in this situation. But they're not saying it like the first step in the 12-step program. That, that would be quite beneficial, right? If, if, if they actually said, I am helpless in this situation, right? Now they just conclude, wow, I don't have any power. But at least if they made a declaration, uh, we might get them going at least in the first step. It still isn't true, by the way, but you know, at least it would be a recognition. So, you know, when I use the example of that lady, she was very small and slight, and yet tremendous martial artist. Why? Because she was using a different power than the body. And so consequently, the size of the body had nothing to do with the outcome. I told you about that gentleman that was called Polish Joe, who again created tremendous phenomenal feats. And what was the premise of his work? That the vital force, that's what he called the energy. Okay? 
I think if he had been Chinese, he would have called it Qi, that the vital force had no inherent limitations. That the vital force had no inherent limitations. That the limitations were imposed by your beliefs, by your thinking. But the power itself had no inherent limitations. Now, I talked about time. And I say to you, pay attention. If you pay attention, think about how often you use time as a variable. How long does it take to get over a cold? How many treatments, how many treatments will it take to get over cancer? Theoretically, if you transcend time, and time is an energy that you can manipulate, How long should it take? So the major premise of dysfunctional patterns. I don't have power. So he, she, it does it to me. What do I tell you is the outstanding characteristics of recovering? you start to assume power, right? You start to assume power. Even if you can't identify it correctly, at least if you start to say, all right, well, I don't know why I attracted this, I don't know why I created this, but I must have. At least you're putting yourself in a position to start paying attention. What is it I did? Or what is it I didn't do? that brought about this experience. I told you in the words of Buddha, there is no external reality you did not project. Think about it. There is no external reality, reality that you did not project. Boy, if that doesn't indicate power, I don't know what does. Now, when I said a moment ago that it's been proven scientifically that you can manipulate photons, you know, sort of a sidebar, do you understand how embarrassing that, that was to science? That was one of the most embarrassing series of experiments. Why? Because it disproved one of the major beliefs in science that, that what? Science was totally objective and could not be influenced by the experimenter. And what were these experiments showing? The experimenter is influencing the results. You know, when I was teaching experimental designs, you know, how to design an experiment, how do you execute it, and how do you analyze it, I would tell people, look, you're going to read these journals, okay? And I want you to get to the point that you're going to look at the author of the experiment, the title of the experiment, and predict the outcome. Got it? You're going to look at the author's name, Julie Campbell, from Harvard, dealing with cognitive functions, and she's going to conclude that. And guess what? That's what she concluded. Because you are constantly affecting the outcome. You're like the experimenter. Believing that the outcome is totally independent of you. So that series of experiments, again, was very embarrassing to science because they could no longer claim that science was totally objective 
and free from influences from the experimenter. So, when, by the way, you know, we're always finding new elements. You guys ever keep track of science, you know? And if you keep track of science, you're going to read that they've discovered a new element. Are you familiar with that phenomena? Now, if, if I'm if I'm telling you something that might resemble the truth, how do they find these new elements? See, when I say you're going to be detectives, well, it's, it's simple. The model indicates that there should be an element that does these things. Oh, it might take a decade. But guess what? They're going to find an element that has these characteristics. Well, how did they find it? They created it. You'd think we'd run out of finding element, I'm sorry, uh, primary elements. Well, they're looking for it, but they don't recognize. You see, they really think they're looking for something out there. But if the Buddha is correct, is there any such element out there? So the next time you read a, you know, a science report, you know that they're looking for the God particle. Well, they're going to find something, right? Because they're looking for it. And if there's no objective reality that isn't projected by the observer. They're going to find it. By the way, has there been a proposal that it has been found? Yes. The only thing that's a problem at the moment is uh, universal acceptance. You are like the experimenter. You are constantly influencing the outcome. You're just not paying attention. Now we do this type of exercise over and over again until hopefully one day I'll sell you on its purpose and effectiveness. So what do you think happens to your vitality every time you venture into negative thinking, emotions, desire? Do you see why I caution you over and over again? Your first job is to get out of negative emotions. Because you're debilitating yourself. Okay? You are one with the vitality of the universe. But you don't believe that. So unlike that lady, your reliance is on the wrong thing. Your Your reliance is on that which is not limitless in its power. So, could you shape your life? But won't it have to start out with the belief that you can? See, it has to start out with the belief that you can. Because if it doesn't start there, I don't know how you're going to do it. That you have the power. So when I've said to you in the past, if I say, can you, what do I want to hear? That's what I want to hear. Can you? Yes. See, you don't even have to wait till I ask you what it is you can do. Yes, I can. Because the power is limitless. Only to be affected by my beliefs, my thinking. I am not independent of what's happening. And what is happening is not independent of me. I mean, again, when I say you're going to be detectives, you're going to pay attention. 
what we call the flu, a cold. What's our theory of their origination? How big are they? Can't even see them. Can't even see them. Can you imagine what you're giving power to? So you have to, again, examine your beliefs, try to get in touch with how it came into existence. Why, why is it your belief? I mean, it could have been you just inherited from your parents or social group or whatever it was. You're going to be a detective and say, well, okay, is it true for me? Okay, so maybe they believe that. But does it have to be true for me? Can I have another set of beliefs? So in a sense, when I say we're only one agreement away, right? We're only one agreement away. I say you're free. And what's the agreement that separates us? You say you're not. We're just one agreement away. I say you're free, and you say you're not. And do you have evidence for your position? Oh, yeah, you have a lot of evidence. You know, the only thing you won't admit is that you created the evidence. Because if you admitted you created the evidence, and you stopped creating the evidence, it would be easier to reach an agreement. Okay? So, again, when I tell you over and over again, I try to tell you these things in a way that are practical, pragmatic, then you could test. Because if they're true and you test them, you should get the results that the principle predicts. If they're not true, then you should find that out. And why waste time? Okay? Why waste time if it's true? You'll benefit. If they're not, you let go of them. All right. So, any questions? Yes. How do we know that subconscious beliefs that impact our lives? Okay. Well, first of all, it's a very important question because the beliefs are usually in the subconscious. They're, they're recorded and kept in the subconscious mind. So the first thing we have to do is bring them to consciousness. One way we do that, bring them into consciousness, is just to ask ourselves, what do I believe is true about this? What do I believe is true about me? What do I believe is true about life? Geez, I never realized I actually believe that life is hard. That's my belief. And guess what's my evidence? A hard life. <laughs> right? So you see, the beliefs prove themselves, right? Right? Wow. You know, I believe that if I don't do it, it won't get done. And what's my evidence? Well, see, it didn't get done. See, that's why I say you're going to start investigating what is the evidence for your belief. And the next thing is to say, all right, that evidence is there because I created it. Okay? So, whatever's happening that is of a negative nature, if you say, okay, that's the manifestation of a belief, but do I believe something positive? Do I believe in love? Do I believe, you know, just... Do I have a positive belief? And what happens if I start focusing on that belief? Well, the moment you're doing that, you're going to let go of this one, huh? See? So you're doing several things. One, in acknowledging that you're involved in the creation, it reinforces the idea that you have power. Therefore, you're not powerless, right? Number two, you're moving your attention to a higher energy, which is going to move you away from that energy. That's the important thing. Yes? So when the Buddha said it's the joyful participation in the suffering of the world, 
there is suffering. Okay. Observing there is suffering. You know, one of the biggest problems with that life is that it was, from a physical point of view, a very long life. And, number two, sometimes that which he is credited with, having said, was either early in his life, which he would never have said later in his life. Number three, at the period of his life, people were not concerned with authenticity in terms of authorship. It was considered the height of a compliment to think like somebody else they admired and attribute what they were thinking to that person. In other words, they didn't take credit for it. That to them at that time was the height of admiration that I so admired Buddha or Milarepa or Christ and I would make a statement, observation, and I would credit him with having said it. Okay? Now, make the statement again. I want you guys to be paying attention. What did he apparently said? This is your full participation in the suffering. All right. Have we not talked about the fact that Suffering is based on, A, desires, and that suffering is based on the perception of lack. So why would he believe that suffering existed empirically? He would not. Did he believe, Fernanda, you three, because you, you three have dealt more with it, what is the outstanding characteristic of a bodhisattva, which is the state before Buddhas, before you're considered a Buddha, right? What is the major premise, the functioning premise of a bodhisattva? So, who's suffering? Repeat it. So the Buddha would have actually said, where is a self to suffer? Where is a self? There is no self to suffer. There is the idea of a self and the idea of suffering. Therefore, there is an idea of a self-suffering. But in reality, is there a self? So I would doubt he said that at the end of his life if he ever said it. But isn't that a nice religious sentiment? Yeah, it's... And that's what he would call, as we said, the good vehicle. Okay? So again, from the beginning, there is no self. It's an idea and that idea does not have existence until you get to the mental plane, which, by the way, halfway between the causal and the physical. Transcend the mental plane, and you will find no self in existence, because there's no idea. Okay? So everything will be verified by you moving to the appropriate consciousness. So when I've said... Whenever you hear something, whenever you're reading something, try to determine the consciousness of the person who is saying it. So the Diamond Sutra is credited to whom? Buddha. The Heart Sutra, which is the next most important one, <laughs> is accredited to a Buddha? A Bodhisattva. The Heart Sutra, which is the next most popular sutra. The Heart Sutra is credited to a bodhisattva. So if you want to see how that thought process is that we call a bodhisattva, read the Heart Sutra. 
if you want to see what and how a Buddha thinks, do the Diamond Sutra. And if you want to see how Tathagatha thinks, be totally still. And then you will know. It's all verifiable by you. So that's why, you know, when I've said to you before, we don't deal with beliefs, we don't deal with, you know, faith. We deal with you getting out there and doing the experiments. Okay? Any other questions? All right, so, since I won't see you for a little while, i got to give you a long-term <laughs> exercise, right? What is it you're going to practice? It's a very simple one. You, you notice I really don't give you that difficult exercises, right? So I'm going to ask you a question and see what you get as an answer, okay? I'm going to ask you a question. Are you? You got an answer, didn't you? I want you to ask yourself that question over and over and over. Throughout the day, ask yourself, am I? And see what happens. Do it over and over again. And as I've said to you before, do not confuse the simplicity of the exercise with its power. Just keep asking yourself, am I? If you do it often enough, some wonderful shifts will begin to occur. Okay? Because it automatically, the question automatically moves you to a pretty high frequency. And so you're getting past, remember how we use those, right? You're getting past the lower frequencies. So you start to see things in a different way. You start to think in a different way. Right? Any questions? So just do that till we get back together again and hopefully the discrepancy between our agreement will have... And you will agree with me that you are truly free right now. Right? So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, there are several things you can do. You can subscribe to it, obviously, and uh, more importantly, tell your friends about it or share it on social media. Um, If you could leave a review of it on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you downloaded it from, that would help others find it. In fact, I I think the way the, the algorithms work is that if you rate it and leave a review, that helps it uh, sort to the top. So uh, please do that. Um, and unfortunately I think on iTunes, you, you may actually have to do this in the iTunes app on your computer. I don't know if it works. I don't think it works on a, on a phone. Um, and then finally, if you wanted to give any feedback or you'd like to find out more information on, uh, the Woo Woo Way podcast or Falcon teachings, you can go to the website, www.falconteachings.com. And you can always follow Falcon teachings on Twitter or Instagram or Pinterest or the various other social media outlets out there. Well, thanks as always for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time.